0: Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank You for Your faithfulness to us. We thank you that there's nobody like Jesus. We thank you that he's the name above all names. We thank you that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning of the end, the great I am. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd and he lays down his life for his sheep. And I thank You, Lord, that King Jesus is the ruler of all things. And by Him, You made the heavens and the earth, Father. By the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, You made the heavens and You made the earth and everything in it. And Jesus is Lord of all. And I thank You that for those who have trusted in Jesus, for those who have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of God, He is the Lord of our lives. And we get to experience and get to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I thank You, Lord, that that is the very reality that You call us to stand fast in in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. In the midst of a world that opposes the Gospel and the truth of God on almost every front, Lord, we are reminded of Your faithfulness and we're reminded of the name of Jesus. And we're reminded of the powerful Savior that we have in Christ. So, I pray that as we sit here, as we listen to Your Word, Father, open our hearts to receive the things of Your Word. And Lord, I pray that I would just get out of the way. That Your Spirit would fill this time. That Your Spirit would anoint this time. That Your Spirit would carry Your Word. And that we would get help. And that we would get encouragement right where we need it most. That You would tailor a message that would be perfectly suited for every heart in this room. And that we would hear a word from the Lord, not a mere word of man. And so Lord, help me to be faithful to this passage and help us to have ears to hear what the Spirit says. In Jesus' name, amen. So, my kids recently um, got done with a soccer league where, you know, you, you got to imagine it's like, you know, five year olds, seven year olds, nine year olds playing soccer for probably the first time, many of them and like the practice is like you know 15 minutes and then boom game day you're you're right there the game is following the practice so there's all sorts of different ways in which these kids are playing the game so you have some, and, and and the coaches are desperately longing for like these kids to persevere and to kind of like stand firm through the end of the game um, but you have some kids who are, who are who are like just afraid to even get in, right? Afraid to even get in the game, and they're just like fearful on the sidelines, like I don't, I don't want to go in, coach, you know, sort of thing. Then you've got other kids who are out there in the field, and and you you know you're you're just watching the whole game go on around them as they're observing like the daisies and and like you know different rivets in the grass and stuff like that. And so th- these kids are. In the game, but they don't really know the game is going on, right? And so, and then you have others who are just like dialed in. They're trying to play soccer. They're kicking the ball around, and you know, and and then about halfway through the game, they're just starting to fizzle out and lose steam, and so they're not finishing. They're they're not persevering. They're not remaining steadfast, right? And we're coming to a place in Philippians where we're kind of getting to that point. Paul has laid out for us a vision of the Gospel. He's laid out a vision for the church of who Jesus is, how you get saved, how you grow in the Christian life, what we have to look forward to as being citizens of heaven. And he's like coming to a place where he's walked us through all of these truths. Like, stand in the reality that you've been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've become a a citizen of heaven. You've been transplanted from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And and that's a miracle. And not only that, but God is going to complete the work He began in you. So not only is He beginning the race and causing you to be saved, but He's giving you grace to sustain you in the race and to continue. And then he's reminding you, glory's coming. And this is review of, of really the past couple of weeks, right? Glory is coming. So in light of all these Gospel realities, Paul now wants to shift and say, in light of all that, stand firm thus in the Lord. And then he's going to talk to a couple folks in the church And encourage them in unity to be united in the Lord because they had a little bit of a disagreement. So that's what's going on in the letter of Philippians up until this point. And Paul is trying to get our our hearts after this reality. And I want us to think about this. You can't stand firm in the Lord against opposition and against all of the things that you face in life that are militant against Christianity and against your faith and against the values that come from the Lord from this book, if you are experiencing division within the church. You can't stand together if you're not together. You can't stand fast and firm in all these Gospel truths if division is showing up In the church. And so Paul is going to be getting at that in these three verses. And I want us to just see it straight from the text. That this is God's word to us in light of the glorious truth of the gospel. And some of us may be in all different places as we walk in here. There may be sort of a disagreement that you walked in that's unresolved. And the Lord is going to encourage you to work through that. As we walk through this text there may be all sorts of situations where you're just like feeling like one of those kids out in the field and it's like I don't even know if I'm in the game yet you know or you might feel like uh, I I'm, I'm I'm like picking the daisies while ministry is going by or you could be trying to stand firm but you're just out of gas and so I want us to think where where are we at in the midst of Reading this word, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the Gospel together with Clement and all the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, there's basically just two points in this passage. Number one, we have to have a Gospel standing going on in the Christian life. Stand firm in the Gospel. And number two, we're to agree in the Lord. There should be a gospel unity going on. And if those two things are pres- present, you're able to persevere. You're able to press on. You're able to stand firm in the midst of the battle. Because a divided house cannot stand, Jesus would say, right? I mean, if you've got a house and it's fighting against each other, you can't stand. And so... And, and of course, we happen to be getting to this place in Philippi. So it's not like Pastor Peter's like, I've got a whole bunch of things I'm thinking about in the background. No, we're here in this place, in this text, because we're getting gospel help for real life issues. Because every one of us knows that number one, living the Christian life can be messy, difficult, and requiring endurance. And number two... Even though you have redeemed sinners in the church who have been brought out of darkness into, and into the light, we already learned in chapter three that Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still struggling with sin. I'm still dealing with those kind of issues. So we're going to have conflict in the church. So Paul is just a wise pastor thinking through how to help us navigate the Christian life and stand firm together in the Lord. So you think about it, like this is a pastor just doing pastoral ministry and notice like he's just all full of like loving pastoral tender imagery here as he talks to them in chapter 4. Look at verse 1 again. This is, this is Paul's heart. This is the kind of pastor he is. And pray for me that I would be more like this, right? Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So notice he's saying, my beloved. I, I, he longs for the Philippian church. He longs for them with affection and tender love because he deeply cares and has this kind of a heart for them. He cares about their well-being. He cares about their growth and grace. He cares about their witness in the world. And, and notice, if you go back to chapter 1, This isn't the first time he's talked like that. Chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That is profound when you think about it. Paul is saying, I yearn for you Philippians. I yearn for you at Smithfield with the very affection of Jesus Christ himself the very affection of the One who's the Good Shepherd who lays down His life for His sheep sacrificially, for for the One who actually did not speak a word in opposition when He had a faulty trial, was condemned even though He's innocent, Jesus, out of preference to save undeserving sinners like you and I, goes to the cross out of that love and tender affection for sheep that are totally strayed. And Paul's like, it's that love, that affection that I have for you. And remember, pastors are just to be models for what that kind of love should look like in the church. So that's a word to all of us, right? It's this idea, do we love our brothers and sisters with the affection of Christ Himself? And if not, pray that the Lord would give you that heart. That's a wonderful prayer request that could be like, and and you know God's going to answer it because it's right here, right? That's how Paul had a heart. And that's the kind of heart that he summons and models for us. And chapter 3 already said in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul's already being like, hey, you guys imitate me as I follow Christ. What a beautiful picture of Paul's heart as a shepherd. And he knows he's about to give a couple commands or exhortations to the church to stand firm on the one hand and to deal with some disunity and disagreement in the church. So he's coming with all that affection and all that love and all that compassion to help the church grow and stand firm together. So let's look at these two things one at a time. Number one, stand firm in the Lord. Let's see that one more time in verse one. Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So, Paul is just calling the Philippians to stand firm in the Lord. And when you think about that, you don't tell somebody to stand firm. Unless they're going to be under fire, unless they're going to be under attack, unless there's going to be something coming at them. So this is like military imagery. So you think of soldiers on the battlefield. You don't want them tuck tailing and running when you're in the heat of battle. You want them to stand firm. You want them to be resolved. You want them to be not retreating, not surrendering, not regretting, pressing forward. Focus with that laser like sort of like intensity. And Paul would say in one of the pastoral epistles, like, don't concern yourselves with the affairs of the the world. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, fight the good fight of faith. So it's that kind of standing that Paul has in mind. It's not like a standing picking the daisies in the field, right? It's not like being afraid to get in the game. This is an engaged standing in the Lord fighting the good fight of faith. So, when you think about your own life, how are you engaged to stand firm in the Lord in the Christian life? Uh, On what fronts are you experiencing assaults and arrows of the enemy coming at you? And we read, right? um, Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul's like, hey, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Because why? Because you got to put on spiritual armor because the forces of darkness are at work against you. So stand firm in the Lord. There's like a battle raging. And Paul is helping us think this through as he gives us this image of standing on the battlefield in the Lord. And isn't that an interesting way to put it? Because our temptation is to stand in our own strength, right? So it's to stand in the strength of Peter Phillips, right? Or to stand in my own strength, to do it myself, to grit my teeth, get it done. I'm in the battle. I'm just going to fight. But our power source is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we were singing a song about him. He's the name above all names. He's... His name's Jesus. He's the Lord. He's our power. He's our strength. He's our King. He's the sovereign Lord who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who holds the universe in existence, who created it by the word of His power. And His strength is the strength in which we're called to stand firm thus in the Lord. And maybe we've just been caught sort of like standing in our own strength and we're just feeling tired. We're feeling like we're like halftime and we're just so struggling and we need to be energized by the Gospel. That's why Paul will say, therefore, to begin this whole thing. He's pointing, look at verse 1. Therefore, and anytime you see therefore, He's always pointing back to something he just said. So Paul doesn't want you just to stand firm in your own principles, in your own abilities, in your own thought processes. He wants you to stand firm on Gospel bedrock realities that you can live your life for and on in the midst and in the heat of the battle. And notice the kind of stuff that he's been saying. All through this passage, he's been telling us in verse 18 of chapter 3 listen, there are many that I've told you, and even with tears tell you, that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset set on earthly things. So you've got all sorts of examples in our culture, all sorts of examples in the world of people who are trusting in themselves. They're trusting in their own bellies. They're living by the gut. They're denying the Gospel just outright. And so Paul is pointing us back to what he said in chapter 3 and saying meditate and stand upon the Gospel truths that saved you that will sustain you and that will carry you along in the Christian life as you fight the good fight of faith. Is that your heart? Like is that what we're doing? Are, are we holding on to gospel promises? Are we holding on like Paul saying, Philippians, I don't want you to be about yourself, your own abilities, your mental dexterity, your your own Wisdom. I want you to be standing on the Gospel. I want you to be standing on the cross of Christ. I want you to be standing on a mighty Savior. I want you to be standing on the promises that one day He's going to come again. Settle accounts. And one day He's going to raise you up out of the dead. And one day this mortal body that's just failing us, groaning, longing for glory, is going to be transformed. I want you to stand on that. Stand, therefore, in the Lord, my beloved. That's Paul's heart to the church at Philippi. You've got to remember, Paul started that church. He went down to the river and there was a prayer meeting going on, a couple of women who didn't know Jesus, and they were faithful Jews or proselytes to Judaism, and He just starts sharing the Gospel. And the Lord opens Lydia's heart to receive the things that Paul said. And maybe we need to have once again the Lord to open our hearts to receive and savor and rejoice in the Gospel promises of who Jesus is and what He did for us and how He saved us. He laid down his life for his sheep. And you'll notice in verse 9 of chapter 3, Paul wants us to remember again that we've been saved by the Lord to stand in the Lord. Verse 9 says, and be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul is directing us back to the standing in the promises of the gospel. You've been saved by grace through faith in a glorious Savior. Who died on a cross for your sins according to the Scriptures. Who was buried and three days later rose up out of the grave according to the Scriptures. This is God's promises. And it changed history. And it changed the Philippian church. And all sorts of people started getting saved. And this is the first church in Europe that would ever be founded. This is the first church in Europe and the Gospel explodes all through Europe from that point on. And Paul is commending them to stand firm in the midst of the battle and fight the good fight of faith standing on Gospel promises. You've been found in Him because your righteousness is the kind that comes from God and is through faith in the Lord Jesus. Look at chapter 1 and verse 27 and notice that that Paul uses the same idea of standing firm. This isn't the first time he said it in the letter. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are what? Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's been after this this whole letter trying to get our hearts around this idea of standing firm, standing together, standing committed, standing on the promises. And He knows, verse 28, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation in that from God. So if you're standing Faithful, fighting the battle, fighting the good fight of faith, if you're standing and you're not afraid when persecution comes, you're not afraid to open your mouth about Jesus, it's a sign to the watching world that destruction is coming upon those who reject the Gospel and it's a sign of your salvation because God saved you. Because you have a boldness that would not otherwise have come. You would be willing to risk life and limb for the sake of the gospel, and that only happens when God does a work in your heart, makes you alive to the things of God, and you begin to care for the gospel and the word of God and live counterculturally in a world of darkness. How are you gonna how, how is any of us gonna live in this day and age? preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ that says all men are sinners, all men are dead in their sins, needing to be saved and come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ when the idea of sin itself is so unpopular. When the idea of the morality of biblical witness is laughed at, mocked, maligned in our culture. Ain't nobody going to be sharing the Gospel if we're afraid of our opponents in the world. But it's a sign in you, brothers and sisters, that the Spirit is at work in your life when you begin to live for God boldly, unshakably, standing upon the promises that God made for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish, but what? Have everlasting life. And when you stand on that and you believe it, and you savor it, and you sing it as we've been singing, and as you herald it, the Spirit of God gets a hold of our hearts and produces a kind of assurance that runs deep and sweet and helps us to stand in the Lord. And that's what Paul is talking about. You know, I think of the kids on the soccer field, you know, and I mean, they're doing everything but sort of standing together. You got all sorts of kids coming like kamikazes toward the the soccer ball and they're kicking at that ball. You see like legs flying everywhere and and shins getting hit and and, you know, their own teammates kicking at them. And, and, And it's just disarray. There's not a sense of unity. There's not a standing. And so it's just like everything's falling to pieces. But that's that's what you call, you know, little league soccer or whatever. Like that's what that is. It's just chaos and anarchy. But the reality is I, I want us to get our hearts, our hearts around not only do we stand firm, but we've got to deal with the disunity in and within the church if we're ever going to stand together. And that's the second thing Paul sees here that he wants to have a, uh, get his heart around and help us to see look at verse 2 verse 2 he says and now he's talking to two individuals in the church and and imagine how unpopular that would be right but notice that paul led up to this all with the the terms of affection and love and he says I entreat, and he doesn't say I command with this high-handed authority and he's just going to come pummel. I see some disunity and I'm all over it and I'm just going to get after you and I'm going to drop the hammer. No, he uses a word that means pleading or entreating, and it's, this, it's, it's a softer, it's a, it's a coming alongside and saying I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. I'm entreating both of you. I'm not playing favorites. I'm entreating both of you to agree in the Lord. Now, we don't know like what was behind this dispute. We don't know really much about these women. All we know is that it was so central to the Philippian church that everybody knew about it and it had to be addressed and it had to be talked about And Paul, out of love, is actually approaching it and telling them to agree in the Lord. And the theme, one of the themes of Philippians has been what? To be of one mind, to be of the same mind, to have the mind of Christ, chapter 2, right? To stand side by side together. To link arms in partnership, in gospel partnership. So, the Christian life, like you can't live the Christian life apart from being a part of a local church because we're meant to stand together. We're meant to agree in the Lord. You can't do any of the one another's love one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another, correct one another, care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. You can't do any of that if everybody's going their own way and there is no fellowship at a local body of believers in a place called Philippi or in a place called Smithfield or anywhere else where the believers gather, that's a church. That's what God calls us out of the world and into the church as believers in Christ, and then we're accountable to one another. And so Paul can talk with, with this kind of language and say, Hey, Yodia, Syntyche, I love you guys. And this disagreement you've had, and we don't know what it was about, but I want you to know like you can agree in the Lord. And not only does he talk to them directly, but he asks another person to help. Look at verse 3. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. We don't know who the true companion was. Evidently, it was a brother who was just a faithful brother who partnered in the Gospel with Paul. And he says, help these women who've labored side by side with me in the Gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, what I want us to think about is Where in our lives is there disunity? Where is there an unresolved conflict that maybe the Spirit of God has been kind of gnawing at you about and you realize, like, I've not really dealt with this. I've not really made it right. I know there's some unreconciled issues going on. Well, that's what was happening in Philippi. And Paul is careful to see that, hey, if you're going to have a house divided, nobody's going to be standing for the Lord. They're gonna be infighting. And that's an ugly picture to the world that lies about what the gospel does, right? So he's saying deal with the conflict within and apply the gospel to it. You agree, Yodia and Syntyche, in the Lord. It's Jesus that unites you it's Jesus that saved you it's Jesus that's made you a citizen of heaven it's Jesus that's justified you it's Jesus that's forgiven you and if the Lord has forgiven you and redeemed you how can you withhold forgiveness from one another and so he's like hey this is what the gospel does it takes divided people and unites them And redeems them and reconciles them. It takes messy situations and cleans them up and renews. And how many of you know the experience of being at odds with somebody? And what a beautiful thing it was when you humbled yourself. Admitted your part in it. Sought reconciliation and that. the gospel healed it. And the Lord, like you're better off now and you're closer friends because of the disagreement and because you worked it out in the Lord. And ultimately what's happening here is these women needed some help. And they're not like, these these women, I don't want us to get the picture like these were like the busybodies, uninvolved in the church and they don't really care about like the gospel and they're like on the sidelines. No, Paul says in verse 3, look at this. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the Gospel together with Clement and the rest. They've been in the trenches with Paul laboring in the Gospel. These ladies are no slouches in the Gospel. Like They're preaching the Gospel. They're faithful members of a church. They're plugged in. They're dialed in. And they still have a disagreement. So... We're going to have conflict in the church. It's not a matter of if, but when. And then how do we respond? Do we remember who we're standing in? Do do we remember that we're standing in the power of the Lord? Do we remember the Gospel that saved us? Do we remember that if Jesus went to a cross to die for our sins, surely He can reconcile two believers who are having a sharp disagreement. And Paul himself, if you'd remember, like Paul and Barnabas get about halfway through the book of Acts, and they've got a disagreement that's so sharp over whether or not to take Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, because Mark had ran away in the midst of a Gospel front where there was a battle going on, and he took tailed and run. And Barnabas said... We got to come alongside this brother. We got to swoop him up, take him out, and, and 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 restore him. And we want him back in the fight. And Paul was like, "I don't trust him." And their their disagreement was so sharp they parted ways. And you know, Paul knew about that when he penned this letter. But I want to tell you, that situation didn't just go like unattended. Eventually, Paul himself reconciles with Mark and Barnabas, and later in one of his letters, he says, bring Mark to me. He's good for ministry. And some of y'all need that word because maybe you're in a tense situation and you've been divided and you're not really dealing with it and you're stuffing it. And you need to know that God can reconcile that situation. You say, no, you you don't know. This person is so hard-headed. Well, you might need a yoke fellow. You might need somebody to come in and help you. That's why Paul says in verse three, like, hey, I've got a companion who can help these women. And that's what the Holy Spirit is called in the New Testament. He's called a helper who comes alongside. And so a man or a woman filled with the Holy Spirit, who's wise in counseling who knows the Scriptures, can come alongside and help. It's like a third-party intervention. You're butting heads, and you need some help to get along. This is biblical like Paul said it. Paul was like, the Word of God, I'm, I'm, I'm writing in this letter, but I'm also reminding you, you need living people to come help you sometimes because the disagreement is so sharp. And that's what pastors and godly men and women in the church are called to be. Because you're fellow workmen in the Gospel. You're standing together. The enemy is the devil, right? The enemy is the world, the flesh, our own sinful nature, and the devil. The Bible would tell us in 1 John, the enemy is not inside the church if we're dealing with true believers. There's an enemy of the cross of Christ Paul talks about who are people living according to their their bellies, living sensually, living gluttonously. But in the church, these are precious blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe there's grudges that have went so deep that we really need help to reconcile and experience the power of the gospel afresh to set things right. That's why he enlists a fellow yokeman. And this is like the idea of somebody who actually comes into the yoke. You've know, got two oxen that are yoked together. It's like somebody's just going to come up and help you shoulder that burden. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is just speaking to you through this word right now and you're like, I need to deal with this. And I want to encourage you to do that because if we're divided, we're not going to stand. A house divided cannot stand. And the last thing he shows us here that I want us to take note of that I think is helpful in helping us agree in the Lord when we get into these situations is the end of verse three, he says, help these women who've labored side by side in the gospel with me together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose what whose names are in the book of life from eternity. God has put names in the book of life. Revelation talks about the names that were written in the book of life from before the foundation of the world, and then as you believed the Gospel and were saved, you were one of those whose names are in the book of life. If you're a Christian and you've been saved and the Spirit of God is in you, your name has been written in the book of life. And because of that, You have something so profoundly deep to unify you with any brother and sister in the Lord. That's why sometimes when you meet a new brother or sister in Christ, and it's just like you've never, like like you're meeting a best friend and you never knew each other. And it's like this homecoming when you meet. Because there's something deep and sweet about that. Jesus Himself would say, you know, to his disciples. Don't rejoice in your power to make the demon subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, in the book of life. You want to take joy in something? Rejoice that your names are in the book of life. And because of that, we ought to reconcile when we have disagreements with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul is a godly, spirit-filled pastor, and he knows exactly how to encourage us to get help. He's like, listen, you're citizens of heaven. Act like you know it. There's going to be no disunity in heaven. I mean, there's going to be perfect peace. Could you imagine? Heaven would not be heaven. It would be more like hell if everybody was divided. So if you know you're a citizen of heaven, act like it on earth. And that's exactly what he's saying here. So I I want us to think, are we peacemakers? Are we pursuing peace? Are we pursuing reconciliation? Are we the kind of person that steps into a situation and we're like this true companion, this yoke fellow who steps in to be a unifier? We need Gospel-centered, Spirit-filled, Christ-honoring, heavenly-minded Christians who promote unity and well-being and health in the church. And I want you all to think, I, I want to be that person. I want to be the person who doesn't talk about people, but unifies people. I want to be the person who is just eager to forgive and eager to reconcile and eager to bring gospel light into a hard situation. So I want us to close real quick by thinking about some reasons. Uh, We've already discussed some, but what are some reasons that Paul highlights here to, to remind us to reconcile with our fellow brothers and sisters, when we come into disagreements. Number one, you can't stand firm against the enemy when you have unaddressed and undealt with disagreements in the church. Division is just going to destroy the standing unity of any church and the witness of the church. Because nobody wants to hear a gospel of grace that saves from an utterly divided church. And maybe some of you have walked into a church where it was just like you could sense the disunity thick in the air. And what a, what a, a testimony that is just so opposite of the gospel that unites. You can reconcile with your fellow Christians because you are in the Lord. Look at this in verse um, three, or I'm sorry, verse two. He says, I entreat you, Yodia and Syntyche, agree in the Lord. If you share the most sweetest relationship in the universe with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, You better believe you have the greatest impulse towards unity and reconciliation and grace to just saturate whatever friction is going on. And sometimes you just need to back up and just meditate. Like this is somebody who's in the Lord with me. This is somebody who's in Christ and is a precious blood-bought child of God. Oh, that I might walk with them in agreement and be of one mind. Listen to um Philippians chapter two, just kind of walk through this in chapter two. Think think this is this is what I want my heart to look like and I want our hearts to look like. Verse one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. And then what's the flip side of this? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interest of the others." That's what the Gospel does when it gets a hold of people. You start living for other people. You start living like Jesus. You start living like somebody who's going to sacrifice themselves for the sake and the good of others. You're going to lay your life down. You're going to study the Bible so that you know how to be a peacemaker and walk into situations with grace. You're going to be the kind of man who's full of the Holy Spirit leading your family in unity. You're going to be the kind of woman who's not gossiping and backbiting and busybodying, but unifying. Speaking words of grace and hope and truth. You're going to be other-centered. You're going to be considering other people better than yourselves. And that is hard to do if you don't have a new heart. It's impossible. You need to be redeemed. You need to have the Spirit of God in your life. You need to have a heart ablaze with the Gospel. And then you will begin to live to glorify the Lord through serving other people instead of your own ends. And that's when the joy truly begins. Because there's joy. That's why Paul said, complete my joy by being this kind of way. By having this kind of mindset. So I want us to pray now. And you may be like, I don't know, Pastor. <laughs> I've got some disagreements right now that I need to deal with. Or I don't know if, I just feel like this person doesn't deserve any kind of movement to reconcile with this brother or sister. And I want to pray for the Lord to help us with that, because I recognize that sometimes we need the Spirit of God to intervene and help us think through these things and help us in the messiness of the relationships that can sometimes wound so deeply. And you need to know there's power in the Gospel to unify, to redeem, to heal. And nobody who's a Christian is beyond the help of the Holy Spirit to bring peace in a very hard situation. So let's pray. Father, I thank You for this word from the Apostle Paul, Lord. It it encourages me. It reminds me that I'm going to face difficulty. I'm going to face conflict. And Lord, wherever we're at today, if we've come in with a conflict, if if maybe our conflict is going to happen next Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday, Lord, we know that we have a mandate, a gracious, Gospel, Christ-centered, loving, compassionate mandate to pursue unity and to be the kind of light and witness in the world that shows the power of the Gospel by the kind of unity and love for one another that we have in Christ. And that we're able to experience reconciliation and healing in those areas of division. And even the hardest ones were not beyond Your hope. And so Lord, if there's some heavy hearts here, I just pray that the Spirit of God would move in a way to remind them to agree in the Lord. To remind them to stand in this day in the Gospel promises that they have been forgiven much in Christ. We have been forgiven much. Lord, help us to forgive others with the same forgiveness we have been given in Christ. You did not withhold any forgiveness for sins that we have repented of. You cleansed them all. You forgave them all. Lord, how shall we hold one thing against our brothers or sisters? Lord, help us. Free us up of that. And grant us the grace and the encouragement and the peace. And Lord, may we be a unified, Spirit-filled, standing firm body of believers that lives for the glory of Christ. And that is missional because we're preaching the Gospel because we're united as Gospel partners in that work. And all the while long, help us to deal with those conflicts that arise in grace, in love, and in truth. And Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.